This episode is brought to you by The Island by Adrian McKinty, the international best-selling author of The Chain. So how far would you really go to protect your family? What would you really be capable of if your family was threatened? This mother and father are about to find out. Propulsive, terrifying, and blade sharp. The Island is the next thrilling adventure from the mastermind behind the award-winning global sensation The Chain and a family story unlike any you've ever read. The Island will be released in Australia on the 24th of May, so pre-order today. I read this book in two days. It's compelling, page-turning, and character-driven, and it's definitely one of my favorite reads this year. But be warned, once you start this book, you will not be able to put it down. Queer Rights Sessions, QWS Podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art and Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, a.k.a. RWR McDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spin-off series. Thanks, Danny! I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Each month, QWS Podcast will bring you reviews, shout-outs of LGBTIQA plus writers, and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Today's guest is Nigel Featherston. Nigel Featherston is the author of Bodies of Men, which was long listed for the 2020 ARA Historical Novel Prize, highly commended for the 2020 ACT Book of the Year, shortlisted in the 2019 Queensland Literary Awards, and received a 2019 Canberra Critics Circle Award. Nigel lives on the southern tablelands of New South Wales and spends considerable time in Canberra, the national capital of Australia. His novel, his new novel, is My Heart is a Little Wild Thing, which will be released in early May 2022. Welcome to the show, Nigel. Thanks so much, Rob. Uh, Nigel, we start uh, each episode with a, an opening question that we ask all our guests. And uh, that question is, how has your work influenced your identity? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And since you did email it through to me a little, a little while ago, which I very much appreciated because it's really quite tricky because normally it's the other way around, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And uh, so, yeah, re- really quite clever. And because it did make me think, but what is my identity? And, and I suppose, you know, my work influences my identity and my identity influences my, my work. Um, mm. But in terms of, uh, you know, it chops and changes and depending on where I am and what I'm doing and, all, and how I'm feeling about everything. Yeah. But but I suppose, you know, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a creative person. I always wanted to be involved in the arts and I guess known as an artist. So yeah, I remember that ever since I was a kid, you know, when I was um, – you know, 10 or whatever, I've got two older brothers and they might be playing footy or backyard cricket yeah. out in the garden and I'd be watching on a Sunday afternoon and I'd be watching, a you know, an arts documentary on the ABC. Brilliant, you know, yeah. You know, something about, I remember watching um, about, you know, the Russian dancer Rudolf Nureyev. I remember watching a documentary about the Stradivarius violin. I think I remember watching a documentary about Patrick White. And, and you know, I, I would, my mother would always say, come on, go outside and play with the brothers. And, <laughs> and I would go outside and, and quite, yeah. often, yeah, I'd quite get into, you know, playing, 
a bit of footy or cricket or whatever, which bores me to death these days. But, <laughs> you know, I, I was a, a team player, literally, but also with a family. But I was more interested, yeah. you know, here I am, what, 42 years later, talking about the Stradivarius, Barnin and Rudolf Nureyev. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me sound a bit like a wanker, but that's just what I was interested in. No, not at all. And... Um, and so, you know, I thought it wouldn't be great to be able to do that, to be as driven as that, to be as talented as that, as to be, you know, as gutsy as that. And yeah. um, I have always pursued a creative life. Um, I didn't actually start out as a – well, I basically have, I've always written ever since right. basically that 10-year-old. I've always written. Um, but I didn't go to university to study writing initially. I did go back to university to study writing. Yeah. And I, I suppose I've, I've always – I was thinking about this walking yesterday that because my career started before the internet, it started before social media, it started before email. And so back when I started, it was a matter of writing a short story, sending them out to a literary journal, waiting six months, a year, 18 months to hear back or not hear back. Yeah. More often than not, it was a rejection of some sort or other. And then trying again and trying again. Learning that there were, you know, great literary journals like Mianjin up the top of the food chain and then there are other ones down the bottom of the food chain. And I started off being published down the bottom of the food chain and then I got better and better and more persistent and more determined and read more and learned more. And, yeah, you know, we'd eventually get published in Mianjin and up Island and Overland and Review of Australian Fiction, all those sort of places. Or well, that was a bit later. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I just started out life as a literary writer. I wanted to be known as a literary writer. You know, I started out being inspired by people like um, Dorothy Porter and um, Tim Winton and Peter Carey. So they were kind of like yeah. touchstones, Australian touchstones anyway. Um, and, yeah, so I've always seen myself perhaps at the, the, the artist end of writing. Um, and again, I you know, there's seven billion ways to write, and they're all valid. So I don't think the artist way to write is the right, you know, is the better way. But that that's where I see myself as fitting. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm naturally not a, per, a um, patient person. Put me in front of a queue at a supermarket, I've got steam out of me, <laughs> you know, ten seconds. But for some other reason, maybe it was just that process of standing out stories and having to wait sometimes up to a year to get a no taught me to be patient yeah because i was going to ask how how would you get on with submission uh on submission if if you're not a patient person uh, yeah well you know I, I think i just learned and that i would just you know you just know that you're not going to hear back a week later you yeah might get a little slip in the mail three months later if you're lucky and 90 percent chance you would say thanks but no thanks so i guess i just learned just to take things slowly, I never had this idea that I would burst out of the blocks and have a novel published at the trade or commercial end of publishing, you know, in the first year. Of course, I probably dreamed about that, but I yeah. just thought I'll start down the bottom and work my way up. I'll learn heaps um, and I'll do it my way, I suppose. So I'm, I'm glad for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of... Um Bravery, and I certainly have a lot of admiration for people who have done what you have done, and uh, you know they've they've continued that on from school. I know myself, and and a lot of people put it aside because of expectations from family or yeah. 
the pressures that we felt that it wasn't a real career and all that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and so we, de- you know, we delayed it for, for years and years and years. Whereas, uh, you just, you got in there and, and got cracking, which is really admirable, I think. Well, and I think I was, I mean, I've, I've, I've said this before. I was really lucky. I, I did grow up in a very privileged part of Sydney. I, I acknowledge that. And I left there consciously at 18 because I knew that I needed to know a different world. Mm. There's members of my family who've never left that world. And I, I purposely chose to leave at 18 and never went back there. But I, I am lucky that I had, Creative writing until year ten, yeah, and it, was a, and it was a two two period, you know, class. So, and all we did was write stories. Yeah. And the only time I didn't write stories was probably year eleven and twelve. Um, and then I actually went to university to study landscape architecture, um, which I love studying, but I turned out to be a terrible landscape architect. <laughs> Why so terrible? Because well, I'm the least practical person in the world, so I probably <laughs> should have joined the dots there. But but I loved learning about because the, uh, the degree I did was with architects and graphic designers and industrial designers. And, yep. you know, I loved the thing about big ideas. I loved things about problem solving, which is what architecture is all about. Um, I loved all those art um, um, architects like Gaudi and the Australian yeah. Mercat, who was completely reinventing what architecture was meant to be about. So I learned a lot, and I got a job as soon as I graduated over in Perth. And so I put the train on my car on the train and took it across the Indian Pacific. Oh wow! And within about a month um, of uh, being in Perth, I was quite, I guess, a bit lonely. But um, two things happened. One was Tim Winton's Cloud Street was published. I didn't actually know who Tim Winton was, but I thought, mm. you know, if I'm living in WA, I should read about this, read something written by this WA guy. And so I read, I was living on Cottesloe Beach and I was reading Cloud Street, which was set like a kilometre away from where I was living. Oh, wow. And I've still got sand, literally sand in my copy of Cloud Street. Um, and also, and, it's, and so um, Cloud Street did um, show me how magical in so many ways Australian fiction could be and how it could fuck with the rules. You know, you do what I think yeah. he had the thing of I'm going to do whatever I like with the page, which I yeah, love. Yeah. And the second thing is as, you, as when you go to architectural school, you learn to keep a um, sketchbook. Um, but when I got to Perth, instead of um, doing sketches, I started writing um, little word sketches, sometimes poems, sometimes short stories. And so I did write one, sent it to a friend, and she said, you know, that's actually quite a good story. It was probably a rubbish story, but she was very encouraging. (laughs) And um, I've been writing ever since. So really, you know, it's probably only four years, four or five years there where I wasn't writing and um, I've just kept going. That's amazing. And maybe a a controversial question, um, but (laughs) circling back around, to how you um, would uh, write and then send it off to a literary journal. Do you see that landscape as the same? Um, because I know there was a big move for a lot of journals towards creative nonfiction. Um, and I imagine when you were writing, you were writing, was it short stories? It was. It was all prose fiction, yes. Yeah. A bit of poetry, but mostly prose fiction. Yeah, so do you see that that's changed in terms of opportunity or it's just you've got to seek those opportunities a bit harder or is it the same? I, I, I think it's probably 
more or less the same. Almost all those journals when I started out were all um, uh, uh, print only and well before um, websites. So to be frank, I think readership is very small. Readership probably was mostly those involved in literary studies and academia and that kind of stuff. Some of the big ones like Mianjin you could find in your local bookshop, but uh, maybe Ireland, but that was probably it. Many of the others were, you know, kitchen table, cottage industry stuff with somebody, you know, sticking staples onto a um, a photocopied thing, you know, up in the Blue Mountains, you know, that kind of thing for a long time. So how those, how people found those was very difficult. Um, So I think, you know, just having online opportunities is brilliant. Yeah. Then being able to um, then stapling on social media. So if you get, you know, published in Kill Your Darlings, or, or on the engine online or island or, um, yep. you know, overland, you can then, once it's published, you can, um, put links out on your social media and you can, and drum up a bit of readership. But so I think that's actually a massive positive. Um, you know, I certainly remember when I would get my author copy or a couple of copies in the mail when I started, you know, I'd be chuffed for about 10 minutes and then I'd be depressed for an hour because I think, <laughs> who's going to read this stuff? You know, yeah. You know, I'd have to leave it strategically on my coffee table and hope that a friend might pick it up and read the <laughs> yeah. first sentence. Yeah, brilliant. So I think there's, I think it's probably more positive, and it's also wonderful to see some literary journals that are very much focused on um, uh, queer writing and also yep. um, marginalised writing, uh, yep. Western Sydney writing. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of great opportunities there. Fantastic, that's great. Now I wanted to. Um uh tell our listeners about your book your your latest my heart is a little wild thing uh from your brilliant publicist who has uh, made a uh, summary so i want to read that out first uh deeply personal and the themes it explores my heart is a little wild thing charts gay history in australia over several decades via the character of patrick Uh, from the 1980s through to contemporary times. It explores family obligations, sibling sibling relationships, the lure of love and lust, as well as the role nature can play in bringing us back to ourselves. A story about family, love, and the cost of freedom. My heart is a little wild thing, serves as a reminder that we all deserve to pursue our dreams. And uh, published by Ultimo Press and the publication date beginning of May. Now, Nigel, congratulations on the book. I have read it and uh, uh, I loved it. And I think the thing is uh, you don't realise, I guess, how rare it is uh, to see a character that has a similar background to yourself until you read it you i think you kind of forget so patrick is a gay uh white cis male uh middle-aged uh and from a uh i'd say middle to upper class background Um, and you know it was uh, contemporary in terms of age so i related a lot to I guess the time period and the character and also that sort of family dynamic. And I think you capture that very unique and special relationship, which is um, 
uh, between a, a gay man and his mother. Um, so I think we, as authors, we always get that thing around, um, you know, how much of you is in your characters. So is there any crossover, firstly, between you and Patrick? Um, yes and no. Um, I see Patrick as a completely separate entity to me. Um, you know, only, uh, only a couple of days ago, I got my author copies um, from a wonderful publisher, Ultimo. And um, I, I, I thought, go well, Patrick, with your story. That was, that was yeah. my initial response. You know, I, I look at it as if it's Patrick's book. And partly yeah. that's because um, it might sound weird, but I, I wrote it as um, Patrick writing a memoir. Um, so I, I was, I set Patrick up as a character, but I stand back from Patrick and let him do whatever he wants with the page. And it was very different to writing my, well, it's actually my second novel, but um, the, the novel that I guess I'm known for so far, which is Bodies of Men, which is a war novel. Yeah. Um, and that's very much about two young Sydney boys who re- basically um, continue their love uh, during the Second World War while they're serving in Egypt. Mm. Um, and that's my war book. And it's interesting because actually you see I set out to write uh a, a nature book. Um, I wanted to write about conservation uh, and nature, and that's and I've been working on something around these ideas that ended up in my heart as a little wild thing for a long time, probably since probably for about eight or nine years. Right, and it wasn't, and I had done various versions of it, really quite different. In fact, I probably shouldn't even talk about the different versions because they're quite different. The only thing that was similar to them was a guy who's struggling with his life goes to a, um, a farm and sees an animal who introduces him to somebody who will change his life. Right. Um, and it wasn't until it was only two years ago that I basically chucked out all the versions I was writing and I just suddenly had this question of what if I had obeyed my own mother? Um, and my mother um, had recently passed away and had quite a loving but quite complicated relationship with my mother. She actually really lived her last couple of years very badly demented. Um, and we did completely reconcile. But I just sort of wondered, what, what if I had obeyed what my mother wanted? She had, was very certain of what she wanted for her sons. Yeah. Um, and if we sort of deviated from that, she made a lot of noise about it. And I, I didn't obey her. It took me a while to disobey her, but I eventually thought, you know what, I'm going to have to disobey her and find my own path. And so what I wanted to do was I thought, what, what, if, what if I had obeyed her? What would my life have been like? Yeah, and right. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be out and out gay man. I wouldn't, I've been with my partner Tim for 25 years. I wouldn't have had that lovely journey. Yeah, I wouldn't right. be a writer. And also I'd live in the same street as her. So yeah. I created Patrick as basically that. He's 45, a little bit younger than me. He lives in the same street as his mother in a regional um, New South Wales village. He cares for his mother who's ageing and becoming frail. Um, he's not really out yet. We're certainly not publicly out yet, but we learn a little bit about what he does um, to explore his sexuality. Yeah. Um, he, he's dabbled a little bit with writing, but his mother said no. So he went, okay, I, I won't write. And then they have this massive fight, and that starts the novel. 
And immediately Patrick thinks, I've got, well, says to himself, I've got to get out of there. This is, if I stay here any longer, I will, mm. something worse will happen. So he removes himself down to the Monero, which is a neck of the woods between the far south coast of New South Wales, the Victorian border and the Snowy Mountains. And that's where he really spent his, the happiest time of his boyhood. And there he does see a strange animal in the garden, which leads him to meet a man called Lewis, who does change his life. But I guess more, going back to more your question, you know, I, as I always say with these things, I say to myself, Rob, you know, don't say anything ridiculous. And then I always say, <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of the gay community being obsessed with physical beauty, obsessed with beauty, uh, youthful beauty. Yeah. You know, every book about gay stuff has got to have a young, beautiful, young, and often white man on the front, you know, yeah. shirt off and beautiful abs and chest and all that kind of stuff. And you know, that, that, that's all wonderful. And when I was 18 to 23, that, that was kind of my ideal, but I'm now, man who's will be turning 54 i think this year so Stop it. <laughs> so i wanted to uh i wanted to explore not only what would my life have been like um if i'd made my mother but what would be life be like if you didn't find love until you're middle-aged yeah and um patrick shares his journey through memoir i think it's yeah i think it's it's so beautifully done i really love um hearing a story from someone and we we do get that uh flashbacks or you know we we do get that historical um view of patrick's life but to have a protagonist who is a middle-aged gay man and that's not you know there's nothing apologetic about that it's just we see it through his eyes it was it was actually really refreshing and um and I, uh, the mother character, uh, I'm kind of uh, obsessed. And I think you did that. Uh, yeah, you captured her beautifully um, and their relationship. And I love that the Monaro is a special place for her as well. So, you know, how you tied their relationship in. Uh, and also, I guess, a fictional crush on Lewis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's a, he's a tricky character. I'm, and thank you for saying that you resonated with, with Meredith, Patrick's mother, because she's a, she's certainly a, a tricky character. And, and the way I sort of say, think of the book, and I have been saying it, even though it sounds weird, I see it as a three-way love story between a man and his mother, the man and another man, and the man and a place that has meant everything to him. And the reason why he goes yeah. back there when he's in his mid-40s is he needs to rediscover himself and he yeah. needs to rediscover happiness. And I know, notice you quote, quoted Ultimo um, in saying that I sort of track sort of recent gay history, and I didn't realise I was doing that until the end, and I'm, I'm sure you, as a novelist yourself, you, you often don't know what you've done until you've done it. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until I, I realised that um, the, the story begins just, just before 2017, um, so with marriage equality becoming law in um or same-sex marriage becoming law in Australia, um, and that, and but but Patrick's life, like mine, starts in the in the early eighties. You know, I was fifteen. Patrick's slightly older than me, but um, I was fifth coming out when I was fifteen in nineteen eighty-three. Yeah. Uh, at the time, New South Wales was debating whether to get rid of the um, the anti-sodomy laws, which were essentially yeah, wow. 
Andy Gaylaws. So I remember yep. reading the Sydney Morning Herald on the front page, you know, will New South Wales scrap these anti-gay laws? Um, but also that was a year that, that AIDS landed on Australia's shores. So, you know, one, you know, I'm looking at the New South Sydney Morning Herald going, Oh, I think there are, I think, I think they're debating laws that have, will affect me. Uh, and then, you know, just when I'm starting to get, you know, a handle on who I am, you know, there's this, this, well, you know, pandemic that will kill millions of people, including yeah. a, a lot of gay men. So yeah. for Patrick, he goes, and like I did, to be honest, well, I won't do anything because if I hold a boyfriend's hand, I'll die. That, that was my fear. You know, if I, if I get a little bit intimate with a man, you know, yeah. I, I'll be infected. His blood will come into my blood and I'll die and I won't even make my 18th birthday. So yeah. Patrick had very similar experiences. So um, I eventually, of course, did go, you know, I, I will literally go insane. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I will lose my mind if I don't pursue this stuff. I'll just have to be responsible. And there's times when I've been irresponsible, but um, I, I'll have to I have to go on that journey. Um, yeah. uh, Patrick just takes much longer to, to go on his journey. But I don't want to spoil too much on the narrative. No. We do learn that. Patrick has not been the saint uh, that um, he might suggest he is at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And I think it just shows, I think, for a lot of particularly gay men of that era that they were doing a lot of dangerous things because you can't hide this stuff, can you? You know, it's a part of your being. No, no. It's who, it's who you are uh, right at your very essence. And I loved how you didn't shy away from that, nor should you, and that you captured that yearning and what Patrick was doing to, um, oh, what would you say, uh, justify is not the right word, to, um, well, I guess his, you know, validate his actual being um, sexually. Yeah, and uh, I just don't think that, I mean, I'm sure some people do, but I, I, and for whatever reasons, whether it's religious reasons or familiar or cultural reasons, but, it does such damage. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's one of the things, you know, I worry about everything. And Robert Watkins, my publisher, Ultimo, was also my publisher, um, Hachette, when he published um, uh, Bodies of Men. But, and he knows that I worry about everything. And I, and I kind of thought, you know, we over these sorts of books. And I can only write what I've wanted to write. And going back to what I was talking before with short fiction, publishing literary journals, you know, one thing I did learn is to be completely disinterested in trends. So I've, I've kept with that. And, yeah. um, and this is not a coming, certainly not a coming of age book. Um, maybe it's a coming of, coming of middle age, but, and it's not a coming out book, but I wanted to explore, you know, I guess, you know, I was very pro marriage equality. I wrote submissions to cabinet, you know, um, yeah. you know, Senate inquiries and wrote to, you know, members of parliament and, you know, I confronted probably that is the word, a, a, a federal parliamentarian and, at a, at, a, at a gallery once and said, when are we going to get marriage equality? So I'm completely there for it. Yeah, and I yeah. always knew that it would just send this beautiful, positive rainbow shockwave across the country saying there is no reason why anyone can't be themselves now. Yes. And I realise, of course, that's lovely, but it's just not realistic. And, you know, I, look, it's just true. There'll be times even now, um, wherever I am in Sydney, Goulburn, where I live, or Canberra, where I'll cross the street because I'll see some people ahead. And there have just been yep. too many times when someone's yelled out, you fucking faggot, 
And, yep. you know, you only, that only needs to happen half a dozen times in your life where you just think, I just, I'm just not, I can't deal with that right now. And 99% yes. of the time, I, you know, if I cross the street because of some kids wearing tight black jeans are going to shout at me. But, you know, then again, six months ago, Tim and my partner and I were walking back from Queanbeyan and we had one of those incidences. So that, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. of years after marriage equality. So are there people struggling with this in Western Sydney? Probably in Broken Hill, probably in Surrey yeah. Hills, probably in Darwin, probably for whatever reason, people are still struggling yeah. to live their, their true selves. We have Grace from Blarney Books and Art and Port Ferry with our book reviews. Welcome, Grace. Thank you so much. And what books do you have for us this week? Well, I've got Anything But Fine by Tobias Madden, which is a Love Oswaye book. Excellent. And I've got Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe, which is an American book. Awesome. So how how would you rate these books? Tell I mean, us about them. I don't really, I, I don't like to give stars to books. I just give them my feelings. Good. Um, yeah, love it. Just because everyone reads them differently but i absolutely loved both of them both super queer brilliant books um but anything but fine i loved a lot because it's actually set in victoria which is where i live yeah um so that i could actually envision um, <laughs> uh, where it's set which is in ballarat oh um, right. so it's a regional uh, yeah. in victoria yeah I mean, to me, I see that as a city, but, you know, I'm a very country girl. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just really, it's just really beautiful. Written. Like, um, uh, what have I got? Uh, Luca is 16. He's gay and a ballet dancer. And he definitely thought he knew where his future was going in dance, but he took a misstep and ends up having a really, like, career-ending um, injury. Oh, wow. Which means he had a scholarship to a particular school and he couldn't be there anymore, so he had to change schools, didn't have any friends, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, and, yeah, he just ended up having to figure out life and it was pretty pretty sad there for a minute, but it, yeah. it is a happy book. I should notice that. And who who would it appeal to, readers of what types of books, do you think? Um, I think anyone who loves like uh, Red, White and Royal Blue by P Casey McQuiston. Yeah. Um, Heartstopper, of course. And uh, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertelli. Definitely has the same feeling of this book, but very much an Aussie book. Fantastic. So that's Anything But Fine by Tobias Madden. Yes, indeed. Nice. And uh, your next, your next book? a delightfully sapphic novel, um, which is Last Night at the Telegraph Club. And it's a historical fiction book, so it's set in the 1950s in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it follows the story of Lily Hu, who is a 17-year-old Chinese-American girl who is coming to terms with her sexuality and just the fact that she is Chinese in America during you know, the re uh, repercussions of World War II, um, communism, police raids on gay and lesbian bars, the whole fun things that happened back in the day. Yeah. 
Um, but it's really, it's just really interesting. Um, so like it's her finding sort of first love, figuring out that actually she's probably a lesbian, um, but also coming to terms with the fact that her family is very much like traditional Chinese and the fact that being queer isn't something that they're comfortable with. Right. And uh, again, what uh, readers do you think, um, like what books would would this one fall into that readers have enjoyed? It's really different to anything else I've read. I mean, it's on par, I guess, with One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Um, but it's so different to anything else. Like, I don't know how to... Yeah. It's just, it's just different. If you like historical fiction, yeah. um, definitely it's got amazing um, historical fiction parts <laughs> um and yeah just it's just different i don't yeah. it, it sounds different. great like um probably uh stories that we haven't really heard that much of um in the yeah, past uh, set in the past the setting sounds incredible as well um that it's so visual like right. you know, amazingly visual and i think melinda glow is coming out with another book at the end of the year which is taking it's a different story but it will take parts from this book into the next but it's more about gay marriage um legalization in america oh wow so 60 yeah years in the future but still sort of touches on the characters that are in this book fantastic so that's last night at the telegraph club by melinda Lowe. it is indeed brilliant now grace <laughs> listeners uh, you have your um, uh, Bookstagram account, so listeners can follow you uh, at... Quality Reads. And that's tea is in cup of tea? That is cup of tea. That is the koala's drinking tea. <laughs> Love it. Um, and your reviews are also available on the Blarney Books and Art website. That indeed. Thank Definitely you so much. Thank you so much, Grace. And we will check in with you again next month for your next two reads. Thank you. And I think we've we've you know we've got that um, we've still got that road to to go down in terms of um, shame that's been foisted on our community from external society um and whether that be religious toxic masculinity you know cultural um and that's that's going to be a long road but i think with sex positivity and with you know celebrating our lives and you know honestly people just um not being so invested in what we do perhaps <laughs> Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah ab absolutely. And, you know, you hear someone like Penny Wong say that, um, you know, this was in the um, Misrepresented show on the ABC where she felt she had two, three strikes against her and we can, we, we all know what those three strikes are. You know, for a contemporary 
you know, society like Australia's. Although having, having said that, I, I'm, the older I get, the, the less interested I am in Australia as a concept. And it's just, it's just mm. as a country, it's built on the worst fucking foundations imaginable of yeah. violence, of misogyny, of homophobia, of racism. Uh, it's just destroyed this continent. And we, we hold ourselves up as this, you know, enlightened country. And I was just about to fall into that trap. But in a way, you know, which, which shouldn't surprise us, you know, it's a sexist, deeply violent country. So, you know, you know, reflecting on these things, and I guess that's why we write and make art that, mm. you know, to think that our marriage equality would make everything great. And, I, and it's a wonderful thing. And I do, do hope that, that there are people who are 15, 16 going, you know, there's now a legal pathway for my relationship. And there's yes. protection. Yeah. And as I understand it, there's no more legislative um, uh, uh, homophobia uh, that exists. In terms of law, of course, there are people yeah. that in law. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, with, with Patrick, and I guess, you know, for people of our age, and, and I guess we're yeah. Yeah, similar age that, um, we're probably always going to carry those scars with us, the shame, as you say, of, of society, but also the shame we put on ourselves, you know. Mm. You just you kiss a guy and you think it's the best thing ever. And then half an hour later you go, ah, oh, but why is it so wrong? So, <laughs> and, you know, we'll just be talking about, about that for life. And I'm so glad to hear, you know, friends of mine who've got, you know, teenage or early adult children, and I've got yeah. nieces and nephews, and, and I know you have kids, where, yeah. you know, if someone says, you know, boy goes, I, I want a boyfriend, then it's like, who, who gives a shit? And that's just, yeah. that's a brilliant um, place. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I think that's our, you know, that's the thing. Like, we don't and we will no longer take on any shame that is, does not belong to us. And, you know, we actually actively push back on that. But, with with what you, what you've said, I mean, how as an artist is that something you explore, or it just is these echoes of you know, with Patrick having you know been a contemporary and you know culture moving on to you know where he can walk down the street in most situations and be okay. Obviously, I think as gay men, we are always hyper aware of our. Um, surroundings um because of the threat of violence Mm. Uh, but yeah is that something that you sort of uh deliberately explore that sort of uh, echoes of culture or it's just it it is your lived experience so that is just comes out in your work i i think it's both rob and and i i have always been interested in asking uh questions of society um uh, exploring things, uh, you know, I love writing about what makes me angry. I love what make, um, writing about what makes me blush. Um, yeah. I write about, I love writing about what I don't understand. Um, I don't, I don't, and again, and I genuinely believe this. I'm on the record of saying there's seven billion different types of way or ways of writing and, you know, mm. it's just one of them. Um, but I don't, I don't think I'd necessarily sit down to entertain, or at least my initial motive is not to. My initial motive like this, with this, you know, with Bodies of Men, it was about exploring different express, expressions of masculinity under extreme military pressure. Yeah. Like fed up with the Anzac bullshit that we get told every year that, yep. you know, um, men, and they are men, white men who serve in 
places like um, Gallipoli were inherently good, and it's just factually incorrect. And that's not to, that's not to disrespect the contribution, an amazing contribution that many of those men made. I, I could not do it myself. To, you know, couldn't even think about doing it myself. But to say that they're all saints is wrong. Um, so that that was my mission with Bright as a Man, and this 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 one again was was about yeah. that question: what, what would my life have been like if I obeyed my mother? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think for Patrick, it, it's it's the story of him of, of is it him leaving, is getting a life and leaving shame aside. And by the end of the novel, he um, is on a new path and a happier path, one that is his own. And so that's that sort of, you know, story arc. And and yes, mm. I, you know, when I sit down to write and, and I write everything with a, a pen on paper, what gets that pen moving is, you know, either something I'm angry about or something I want to find out. But then through the drafting, of course, it becomes more of a how are other people, how are people going to read this and what does it mean yeah. to people. Yeah. And thankfully that's why we have publishers and editors who then say let's open this book out so more people can enjoy it. Absolutely. I, do, I do want people to turn the pages and get to the end and go, that was a lovely story. But I also want people to go three months later go, Oh, I've just—I think I've just unearthed another theme in Nigel's book. Like that's, yeah, brilliant. That's what I kind of aim to do. And yeah, I'll read it again and go, "Oh, now I've just realised all this other stuff that's going on beneath the surface." Brilliant. Well, which is a, a nice segue into our uh, writing question that we ask each of our guests, uh, which is any advice, Nigel, or top tips for writers who are listening. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's write what you want in, in your voice, in your own way. Brilliant. And, and I think there, there there's definitely some nuance and complexities in that. There, I think there are some things that um, uh, someone like me, a, a, a Caucasian privileged man, should not write about, um, and race is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think my general view is to to write what you want to write about to find your voice you know i love what irving welsh says you know it's your page you can do whatever the fuck you want with it <laughs> excellent and and i think and you know there's that book of novel of his called filth which um uh you know it's about a policeman who gets overtaken by a tapeworm so the page literally gets overtaken by a tapeworm the the original text of the novel gets smothered by the narration of the tapeworm. Oh, wow. And so when you flick through the novel, you actually see this sort of graphic of this worm eating the original text. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just phenomenal. And, that, and, yeah. I love, and I love that level of play. So um, I think certainly be very thoughtful about what you're writing and why you're writing it. But, yep. um, you know, yes, there are rules. Of course, there are rules to be broken. You can break whatever you want. Um, and uh, go for your voice. And, and if I think you know, we talked about the benefits of social media and, and the online environment, and there are plenty mm. of them. I think perhaps a bit of a challenge is that it does tend to funnel people into thinking they have to write in a certain way. Yeah, right. You know, they might think, oh, you know, rural crime at the moment is great. Yeah, yeah. But by the time someone now started writing that novel, finished it, got it published, you know, that wave will have been and gone. Maybe they'll catch yeah. the next wave, but. <laughs> you know, if, if you want to write a hundred thousand word, you know, verse novella narrated from a 
position, you know, of the point of view of a goldfish. If that's what really floats your boat, then go for it. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent advice. Uh, and uh, another another one that we do for our guests is any um, shout-outs for any LGBTIQA plus artists, uh, Nigel. Yes, and, and um, thank you for saying artists. And I know that in your original question you also had organisations. And, um, you know, I look, God bless all, and I'm an atheist, by the way, but, um, you know, kudos to all those um, um queer and gay organisations that continue to do amazing stuff. We just mm. we wouldn't be here talking about this sort of stuff with it, without them. But I don't belong to any of them, uh, only because, I, you know, I'm a natural hermit who lives in Goulburn and wears, you know, gets around the house wearing, you know, a hoodie with holes in it. But so <laughs> I, thought I'd do, I thought I'd do a very quick, in, you know, 60 seconds or less, quick yep. gay book club. And I pulled these off my bookshelves. Um, and these are, these are writers that I've absolutely adored. Uh, Edouard Louis, The End of Eddie, the French novelist, um, uh, writes a lot of sort of autofiction, but very short novels. But goodness me, they pack an extraordinary punch. Um, Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendes, um, set in London, um, but very much from uh, a person, a, a male person of colour, and um, his experience of navigating the queer. Um, world in London, Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendes, incredible. Uh, Brandon Taylor's Real Life, which um, was long listed for the 2020 Booker Prize. Um, yeah, um, Com Tobin, who's actually an Irish novelist who I've adored yep. since the beginning, he calls Real Life a tender, deeply felt, perfectly paced novel about solitude and society, sexuality and race. Wow. Um, New, uh, what belongs to you by Garth Greenwell, another American writer. Goodness me, if, if there's somebody who really goes there in terms of writing about sex, you know, the mechanics of sex, it's Garth Greenwell. What belongs to you and cleanness was the follow up to this, the, that novel. He just, he just, it's in what belongs to you. Um, there's, uh, he just receives an email from his father to say he's about to die. This is not really going to spoil the story. And then yeah. it's about a 30-page paragraph where he just riffs on his father um, and the oh, complexities wow. and love. And I just read those 30 pages thinking, I just, I just can't do that. I, you know, <laughs> it's just yeah. incredible. Um, uh, Jericho Brown, moving into poetry, Jericho, Jericho Brown, the tradition, which one was the winner of the Pulitzer Prize for poetry. Um, he, he's a, a gay man and... Um, I, I love poetry, uh, it's, but it's rare for me for, for um, poems to take my breath away or really get me in the gut. And that's yeah. just perhaps a taste thing. But there was times in um, The Tradition by Jericho Brown where I, it, I, it was, I was literally breathless. I thought that's oh, these wow. are just incredible poems. I think Ocean for Ong is, is another one. Night Sky mm -hmm. with Exit Wounds um, and his incredible novel, um, on Earth, uh, on Earth, we're briefly gorgeous. Yeah, um, he's a writer, and I know he's got more work coming out. But he's a writer that I'll continue to follow. And coming back to Australia, um, Peter Pilates from Western Sydney is doing incredible work, um, and yep. particular the the pillars of his, which is really, I guess, asking all those really smart, gutsy, provocative questions about Australian society generally. 
So there was there's, there's my 60-second weird. Brilliant. And um, we'll have all of those titles in our show notes for this episode. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Nigel. That's whew, a, lot to, a lot to be reading there. <laughs> uh-huh. And our final question, uh, uh, which is, what is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus communities? Yeah, I, it, I've, I've been thinking about that as I wander around dear old Goulburn and, you know, part of me says keep doing what you're doing. Part of me says um, um, make sure that uh, absolutely everybody can be involved in the discussions. Um, I sometimes get lost in all the queer politics and then I just lose interest. And I'm glad that there are others who are much more interested than me in that kind of queer politics stuff. I, I just want to create characters and explore stuff through fiction primarily. Mm. Um, but we do need those, particularly I think those um, organisations that are focusing on youth and, and opening up amazing spaces to, yeah. you know, into into uh, the bisexual community, into the trans community. Yeah. Um, all those wonderful grey areas that have been you know, in, in the dark for so long. And I think mm. they're doing an incredible job um, to really say however your sexuality is expressed. And, uh, and I'm sure you agree that human beings are inherently complex. So why can't we have complex sexualities that shift and change and absolutely different things? And there's sexualities, I'm sure, that are out there that, that we haven't got names for yet. So let's go and discover those. And so... Um, I just, I guess, make sure that everybody can be a part of the discussion rather than narrowing it down to um, just those who are one thing or another. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank you so much, Nigel, for uh, being on our show. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it. My Heart is a Little Wild Thing, published by Ultimo Press, and that is out uh, beginning of May 2022. Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art and rwrmcdonald.com for links, reviews and the interview transcript. Until next time, this is QWS Podcast.